I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hopefully, everybody's doing well, watching lots of movies, staying sane, and all of that. Um, just wanted to remind everybody before we get started to uh, check out my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema, which is available at Faith Life TV. Uh, recently accepted into the Canadian International Faith and... Wait. Faith and Film Festival. I don't remember the name of it, but yeah. So it's nominated for Best Documentary there, which is fine. And then uh, I think since the last episode, it's it's also been accepted to the Christian F Family Film Festival. I don't know. The, all the festivals that I'm a part of are some combination of faith, family, film, and festival. Sometimes there's an international thrown in there, whatever it is. But nonetheless, still very grateful uh, that these festivals uh, accepted, the, accepted the documentary. It's been a lot of fun uh, being a part of it and doing interviews and that sort of thing. So anyway, you can check that out at faithlifetv.com. And uh, in the meantime, uh, there's another, another F word outside of faith, outside of family, outside of film, and outside of festival, uh, and it's not one of the other ones that people know of. Uh, the word is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the word of the day, and that is what we're talking about today. But when I say we, I don't mean me by myself. I'm just a lowly uh, adjunct instructor at a community college. I'm not in any position to uh, talk about faith. Uh, it doesn't matter how many... Uh, faith family film festivals I get accepted to, uh, you know, so instead I brought in our good friend who hasn't been on the show in so long, too long, in my opinion, it's Nathan Potter, pastor Nathan, as I call him, I don't call him that. Uh, but I, in fact, he's lucky if I call him by his actual name, but anyway, it's Nathan Potter. Nathan, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well overall, you know, all things considered doing sure. pretty well. Sure. Uh, I'm glad to be Glad to be back on the show. I'm glad to have you. Now, the the details of your being on the show is very interesting because you're in my house right That's now. Yeah. You are, as the crow flies, I'd say you're about 10 feet away from me. Now, what there are... in the phrase? Well, because, you know, there's not incorporating uh, twists and yeah. turns in my hallway. Um, now, there are walls in between us, uh, physical and emotional. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think for, for anybody who didn't grow up in or around the Midwest, uh, as the crow flies is a way of saying in a straight line. Yeah, I guess uh, that's I've discovered true. that like living in the West Coast, there's so many phrases like that that people don't know um it's it's funny yeah I, i'm trying to think when i learned that 
phrase, it probably was when I moved to the Midwest, whether it be Denver or Missouri. Um, and it's not a term I use very often, but it's fun to say. It is fun to say. It is fun to say. Similar to uh, one that was I was reflecting on recently was, uh, you know, making plans. Uh, well, we're going to we're going to do this no matter what happens. Right. But sure. Uh, the way the way my family down in South Carolina says that is come hell or high water. Sure. Like hell Which, and high water both could yeah. possibly impede our plans. <laughs> well, and it's, and of course that, that led to a really, the title of a really good movie. And I do think as yeah. the crow, as the crow flies sounds like a John Steinbeck novel or something like that. It does. Yeah. But, it it uh, sounds, it sounds like a, uh, like one of those independent Johnny Depp movies where everything's dark and scary. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm currently, because I don't read anymore, I just listen to audiobooks while I'm just doing other things. And I'm currently working my way through Needful Things by Stephen King. Ooh. And, uh, you know, a brilliant writer. And I, and I like yeah. his, his prose. It's very conversational. Mm -hmm. And there's, and with Needful Things especially, because it's, it takes place in a small town. And so he really does, in just the tone of his narration, he tries to capture the small town vibe. Mm -hmm. And so he'll use like little turns of phrase. Not the, the characters won't use it. I mean, they do, but he uses it as a narrator. And so phrases like, as the crow flies and you bet your dog whistle and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, show up in his, in his narration. And you're just like, oh, all right. Yeah, and then at one, at one point he does this thing that like turned my mind inside out where he was talking about it. He was, you know, it was a dramatic moment of the, of the book. And he's talking about a character's background. And then he says, you know, so-and-so did something that, that, uh, that was so traumatic that uh, no novelist would dare make it up. <laughs> I was like, this is it. Wait, what? You're making it up right now. What, but is what are you doing? Or is he? Yes. Who's yeah. to say? Yeah. But yeah, it, uh, it really, that little moment, it was, it's meta in its own way. Mm -hmm. And it's not him like tipping a hat and saying, ah, you're listening to me, Stephen King. It's the kind of thing that someone might say as they're telling you a story, except right. this happens to be in a fiction novel. Right. Um, it really... It threw me for it kind of ruined my day uh you know and and i heard it at like 11 a.m so the whole day was a wash after that but anyway you were about to say something yes no I, i'm actually also reading a stephen king novel right now oh what are you reading yeah i picked up the gunslinger uh it's the first book in the dark tower series i picked it up right. in college i read it i really enjoyed it i did not continue with the series i don't know why uh and i just finished uh whatever book i was reading before this was a, what was i reading I finished something that I was reading yeah. and I thought I want to pick that back up. So it's, it's interesting. We'll get to the episode in a moment, but uh, as <laughs> tends to happen, you know, Nathan and I are catching up on things. Um, yeah. It's interesting because uh, so needful things takes place in castle rock, Maine, which is a place that he created um, and has shown up in a number of other of his stories um, but what I didn't realize is that it, it really is sort of like a shared universe uh, mm -hmm. because there are characters in that. Cause I, I read back in high school, I read uh, Cujo and there are characters in this book that reference the events of that book. Um, you know, like in, in that book, the, the local sheriff uh, 
goes to save this woman and her and her son who are stuck in their car uh, being terrorized by a rabid St. Bernard. And so the local sheriff goes to save them, but the St. Bernard attacks and kills him. And the sheriff in this book is his replacement. And so people are constantly saying like, yeah, Alan Pangborn's pretty good, but he was no George Bannerman, you know? And so I'm like, George Bannerman, that's the guy from Cujo. And then like, they keep referencing stuff that you would see in like, that you heard about in like the dead zone and the yeah. dark half and that sort of thing. And it intrigues me and it makes me want to go and read uh, all of those novels. So you just kind of get this portrait of a place uh, that is besieged by evil in some way, shape or form. And uh, it's, it's very intriguing. How many, there are like a, there are a number of entries in the dark tower series, right? Yeah. I don't know how many there are. Yeah. So you've started down a path and then you never know where you're going to end up. Yeah, well, at least it's finished, though. The last series I started, sure. the, it's not finished yet. I started the King Killer Chronicle, not knowing that book three wasn't on yet, and then found out that book three's been delayed for, like, almost a decade. Oh, and boy. it's really frustrating because at the end of book two, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I have so many questions. This is so great. But it's also not great because I can't read the rest of the story, and there's no release date for it. Now, who so, is the author of that? His name's Patrick Rothfuss. Rothfuss? Rothfuss. Okay. I know nothing about it. Good for you for, uh, you know, not that I'm super uh, book savvy, but, uh, but that's one that I genuinely have not heard of. It's Sounds kinda, good. It's, a, it's fantasy fiction. So it's, I feel like fan, the fantasy genre is this like walled city that most people are intrigued by, but don't go to. So, yeah. That's, uh, that is probably true. Yes. Uh, my limited experience with fantasy, uh, I found to be rather tedious, um, mm. because we, and I understand like the issue is mine because you, you read these books and they're trying to pull you into this world and get you to understand the, what it's sort of like what Stephen King is doing with, with yeah. needful things, trying to pull you into a mentality where, which just has a completely, uh, alternative mythology and so but right. one that makes sense to the characters and so in order to sort of catch you up sometimes there are things like i've read very little tokian and i've liked the style of it but like he gets so bogged down in the world which is understandable but it's just not the kind of thing that i enjoy but it's also been a few years uh since yeah. i've read it since i tried to read it pardon me um but anyway enough of that enough. today we are talking about forgiveness um, so this came about because, it, you know, it came about probably from some kind of reactionary, uh, element within me where I was looking at the world around me, um, and looking at the, the current culture and something that I, a conversation that has been had, um, is the idea is the nature of forgiveness. And this is a conversation being had uh, not just in Christian circles. Uh, obviously Christians don't necessarily have a patent on forgiveness. Uh, the concept is something that people uh, by and large seem to like, but don't, but I'd say for the most part, it doesn't feel good to forgive, not nearly as good as it feels to bear a grudge. Mm -hmm. And lately, especially with stuff regarding like the Me Too movement where, you know, a guy is caught having done something and then the conversation comes about like, well, you know, it's not our place to forgive this person. It's only, a, you know, it's only the person that this guy 
did something wrong to, you know, that this person wronged, uh, they're the only ones that can forgive him. And so as a culture, like we can't forgive him. Mm. And I remember it really, that, that really struck me because I'm like, well, as a culture, we're perfectly willing to condemn him, even though he didn't do anything to us. So we're, so we're, angry on behalf of the victim and in an objective sense of right and wrong, but we won't forgive that person. I don't know. It's, it, it really struck me as like, not, not even necessarily a double standard. It, it just struck me as like, okay, the, the conversation about accountability and about forgiveness is becoming a little bit more complicated. And, and I've, I've, uh, I've run across people who, uh, in talking about Christianity, uh, say that you know how on earth like how on earth could god forgive such and such a person if that person actually did um repent uh and it's interesting because i feel like in my like i'm old enough now to feel like the 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 world by and large has gone from trying to be accepting and really trying to avoid legalism uh, and actually condemning Christianity for being too legalistic, it feels as though it has now gone in the other direction. And mm-hmm. now, as, as tends to happen, um, and now uh, in the spirit of justice, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with the concept of justice, um, but in the spirit of justice, now it's like, no, we don't want to be too quick to forgive. And so this is just based on my observation and I could absolutely be wrong. It could be the articles I'm reading. Who's to, it could be spending any amount of time on Twitter at all, even as, as little as 20 seconds. And immediately you're like, everyone is so angry all the time and nobody wants to let their anger go, which is a big part of, of forgiveness. And so I thought it would be worth exploring what forgiveness means in a Christian sense uh, and that and that means in a spiritual sense, but then also in a person to person sense, mm. because I definitely know that for me, um, I have never really had a hard time grasping the idea of God forgiving me. Um, and that's mostly because I recognize that God is God. He has no limitations. People, on the other hand, are nothing but limitations. And so, as you and I have discussed uh, off mic, I, in my bad times, I have a tendency to feel like there is no such thing as human forgiveness or that it is mm. genuinely impossible. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I know that that's not necessarily true. When you see what people have been able to forgive in the past, they're like, well, clearly it, it is possible. I just... I just don't really know how it happens. Uh, and so I wanted this to be sort of a, a larger conceptual conversation with maybe some pointers uh, at the at the end for people who maybe uh, have been holding a grudge and maybe even want to let it go, but they don't know how. Um, partially maybe because it does feel good to be angry, especially if you are righteously angry. Um, but also because I think increasingly we are all defined by our anger and by the things that we will not put up with and that, uh, 
I don't know. It's uh, it's just something that has really been on my mind in the last few months. And so I, I thought this might be a good opportunity to talk about it and have my good friend, Nathan Potter. So Nathan, I've been talking for a while. Uh, feel free to address any of what I have just said. Yeah, I, um, I've said so much. I think that Sim- similar to your observations, I, I see within. A, I think it's. I think it's known as uh, outrage culture, right? And it's sure. It's much, much easier and seems therapeutic to allow vent to our outrage and to throw fuel on that fire. And in some cases, it feels like we're we're. Uh, fighting for justice when we act on that outrage. Yeah. Um, and as a result, we, well, and, and as a response to failed systems of justice that, that do not hold um, guilty people accountable, we take justice into our own hand. This is a normal human thing, right? When, when we read, when we read the scripture, we see that it is, it is the default for human beings to wrong one another and then in response to that wrong to uh, uh, seek retribution and that retribution is often uh, um, incongruent with the wrong done it's one of the reasons that in uh, exodus and leviticus god gives very clear um, boundaries for what justice is supposed to look like you know I, i think of um, a lot of people are like, well, the Bible's insane. It's harsh. Like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? That's, that's used by people who don't like the scripture and it's used by people who want to get vengeance. Yeah. The, but that, that specific statute was given because God knows our, our capacity for retribution and vengeance that if you knock out my eye, I will pluck out both of yours or I'll, kill your wife or whatever and like that's that's our norm and so to curb that he was trying to give laws to um uh to give parameters around our understanding of justice i think that when we talk about forgiveness forgiveness can be part of justice mm. um can and, and I think ought to be part of justice. This idea of justice as a purely retributive, punitive thing is super narrow and historically limited to the European world. Mm. Uh, justice, as talked about in the scripture, justice uh, in indigenous cultures ju- uh, in, in uh, North America, justice in tribes throughout Africa uh, and the Middle East and Southeast Asia, justice is, is restorative in a lot of cases where we're seeking to set things back the way they should be. And part of that may be consequences for actions taken. But if we only do consequences, then we're not setting things back into its right place. Yeah. Um, right. If, if I, if I uh, break my arm and the consequence is I can't, I don't get to move my arm for four weeks. Well, that doesn't set my arm back in place. Right. I have to do both. Right. And so, so in scripture, we see, we see justice as a more holistic process. And, and I think forgiveness is part of that. Uh, 
in the word. So, so as, as Christians, um, Oh, let me, let me say this as we get started. Uh, the observation that, that culture is culture lacks a willingness or capacity to forgive. Yeah. Um, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, I think the, the recovery community, drug and alcohol recovery community, uh, has a strong sense of the need for forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and I, I think certain elements of, of people who have been to prison have an understanding of the need for forgiveness because it's so necessary for healing. But generally speaking, our culture lacks our capacity for this. And frankly, I don't, I don't expect the world to be a forgiving place. Right. Uh, because forgiveness is an attribute of God, it's rooted in his character. Uh, my default assumption is that most of the world will either refuse to or forget to forgive. Sure. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up the communities that definitely understand the importance of forgiveness because it's people that are deeply aware of their own frailty and their mm-hmm. own need for forgiveness. And I do yeah. think that, that, you know, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Um, there is, there is a time for, for every emotion uh, in our lives and, and anger can be an active thing and it can drive us to actually make the world a better place. Yes. Uh, but I do think that to be in a perpetual state of anger is to put blinders on. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you're blind about or, the, or that you can be blind to is your own culpability, your own, uh, well, I guess your own frailty. You know, if I'm angry, if you've hurt me and I'm angry at you and I want to stay angry at you, it's important for me to only look at the negative of you mm-hmm. and very little of the negative of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the minute I start to say, well, you know what? I'm not perfect. And if I were in his circumstances, maybe I would have done the same thing before, you know, it. like we we're getting into empathy territory. And while mm-hmm. being empathetic towards someone doesn't mean that you are, you automatically left, let them off the hook. It shifts. The anger shifts from condemning of the person to condemning of the action. Mm-hmm. And then if there's a consequence, then obviously that needs to be paid. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, you know, the the path towards forgiveness starts with empathy and starts with an understanding or an acknowledgement of what have I done wrong? And I think, mm. I think there's, there's such these days, I feel like there's such a focus on certain things are seen as unforgivable. And the reason that I think they're viewed that way is because they are not common crimes. They're not mm. crimes that all of us uh, commit you know, mm-hmm. like I have never, I, I can very safely say I've never sexually harassed anybody. You know, I've never ma- consciously made uh, an, an environment uncomfortable for somebody, for another woman or, you know, another man. I, I try not to do that. And I don't think I have, whereas there are some men who have no problem with that and they seem to actually enjoy it. And so because I haven't done that thing, uh, I could and because I think fewer people have done that, it's easier for us to look at that action, conflate it with the person and just say that person is inherently just worse than mm-hmm. I am. And suddenly we get in that, in that habit of, of rating sins and mm-hmm. rating mm-hmm. crimes, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. ranking, pardon me, ranking crimes and mm-hmm. ranking sins. And then, uh, 
you know, unsurprisingly, the ones that most of us are are not guilty of are the ones that are seen as unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the you know lying to somebody, manipulating someone, well, we all do that sometimes, even without trying. And as a result, it's like, well, that's something that can be forgiven. And and so I do think that there's forgiveness. I guess, like any other good concept, can still can be used and manipulated to make us feel better about ourselves while making somebody else feel worse about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, you you point out that uh, we're rating rating sins and wrong done and and therefore discovering or labeling certain ones as unforgivable. I think. I think the, uh, another big reason for that is there are a lot of misunderstandings about what forgiveness actually is. Sure. Um, even within the church, just a few I jotted down as we were getting started. Um, people conflate forgiveness with reconciliation. Um, people com- conflate forgiveness with trust. Yeah. And therefore conflate forgiveness with affirmation of, of relationship and peace. Um, people, uh, people conflate forgiveness with forgetfulness. Right, you hear people uh, in the face of wrong done will say it's fine, or don't worry about it, or yeah. don't mention it. Um, but that's not that's not actually forgiveness. It's, yeah. it's often brushing over something. So I think I think to really understand forgiveness as Christians, and this is one of the areas where we are radically different from the world around us. Uh, is the concept of forgiveness as a posture and way of life. Um, I think we, like anything, we have to go back to who is God? How does, how do we find our practice of forgiving others rooted in the person of God, whom we are supposed to reflect and therefore glorify? And so I I go to uh, Exodus 34, uh, and, and for those who are newer to the scripture, unfamiliar with the story, I'll, I'll be very brief. Um, God and his plan to redeem the world has chosen the family of Abraham uh, through which to bring uh, knowledge of himself. Uh, that family has grown in the land of Egypt, uh, but the king there didn't love them. So he put them all to forced labor, enslaved them for uh, a number of generations. They finally cry out to God, and he answers through uh, the person of Moses in a series of miracles that you're probably familiar with, either through um, uh, the cartoon Prince of Egypt or a Charlton Heston movie. Sure. Everybody's familiar with those things. So God delivers his people through the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea, brings them into the wilderness. And at this point in Exodus 34, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God's presence is... Uh, visibly uh, on the mountain through cloud, fire, and, and storm. And Moses is in that cloud talking with God about what his people are supposed to be like. And, uh, and so God reveals himself as the first part of that. If you want to know what my people are going to be like, you have to know me. And what he says in uh, 34, uh, Exodus 34, verse 6, he says, um, he says his name twice, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. 
I, I think that that's where we have to root our understanding of forgiveness is this is part of who God is that he is slow to anger. He is abounding in faithful, loyal love and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, those are three different ways. It could be easy to be like, oh, those are three different ways of saying sin, but those are specific things. Iniquity is, the, uh, is doing injustice, um, taking advantage of other people. That's iniquity. Transgression is relational betrayal. Um, and sin is to lose your way, to, um, to do something or not do something that then puts you outside of who you're meant to be, the Imago Dei. You are unlike God in doing or not doing this thing, right? So that's just three different Hebrew words that, that talk about what sin looks like. But we root forgiveness in the person of God, that this is what he does. He forgives. Yeah. And actually in Exodus 34, he is in the process of forgiving because this is right after uh, his people who he just brought out of the land of Egypt through miracles and works of, uh, of incredible power. Uh, he says, okay, I'm going to tell you who I am. And as he's doing that, they make, they make a different God for themselves. And so he's revealing himself as forgiving in the process of forgiving. Hmm. Right. So, so the first thing we got to understand as Christians is forgiveness is part of who God is and therefore part of who we are meant to be postured with and practicing forgiveness consistently. Now, now this is a theme throughout the whole scripture that I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to the whole new Testament and give a biblical theology of it. But uh, I think we can very quickly turn to um, uh, another scripture that many people are familiar with, even uh, non-Christians are deeply familiar with this uh, and, and see forgiveness as an integral part of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and that, that is Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, uh, a lot of people know it, but uh, I find that people are surprised when they slow down and look at what comes directly before and directly after it. Um, I'm just turning there now so I can get all the wording exact um it's in matthew 6 in the middle of what is known as the sermon on the mount um he says um sorry not not what comes immediately before but part of the prayer uh and then what how he kind of like caps the teaching on this is how you pray right uh listen to the prayer and then and then how he caps the teaching he says uh pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, the prayer assumes that we are in a posture of forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now listen, this is how he caps his teaching on prayer. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. So he doesn't end the prayer by emphasizing the power of prayer, which is what we want to learn about when we learn about prayer. He doesn't, he doesn't emphasize at the end of teaching us how to pray. He doesn't emphasize the key words to make sure God hears your prayer. He emphasizes you forgive. 
and your father forgives you. You withhold and your father in heaven withholds from you. We, we see him emphasize this again uh, a few different times. One of them uh, is when uh, Peter says, but how many times am I supposed to forgive? Right. Classic, classic passage, right? And he's like 70 yeah. times seven. And he's not given a word. That's an idiom. All right. That's a cultural right. idiom of the day. It just means like perpetually always yeah. forgive. Um, so that, that's the, that's the starting point, right? This is who God is. And because it's who God is, it's who's God. It is part of who God's people are supposed to be. That's where I start out. And you know, it's, and there's also, you know, the parable about, uh, owing somebody a great deal, uh, you know, uh, somebody owes uh, someone else a great deal and that debt is forgiven. And then the person who, and then that same person is owed a little bit and doesn't forgive that because, and I find that interesting because when it comes right down to it, if every single sin that we ever commit and the Bible incidentally also incorporates the idea of sinning in our thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, well, that just opens up a whole other uh, world of, yeah. of uh, misdeeds. Yeah, then and, my transgression's infinite. It's yeah, it's, yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't stop. And so, so we are in a perpetual state of forgiveness, like uh, as far as God, like he is, there is a lot that he needs to forgive. Uh, and for us to then look at the handful of things that a person or people in general may have done to us and say, well, I can't possibly forgive that. Now I get it. You know, uh, if someone has, you know, murdered a loved one of yours, it's going to be very difficult because, you know, we do live in a finite world and we do understand the concept of loss. And we do understand that like this, this one is ongoing because that person can never be brought back. So it's not that that's unforgivable, but I can understand that like sin, like sin itself as something that separates us from the love of God, that is all the same. But here in the world, the consequences and the, the, the logistics of sin is different. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that something is unforgivable, but I can understand the difficulty with which someone forgives another person, but it's not impossible. Uh, and to act as though there is, again, there is a great deal of self-focus, I think in unforgiveness, this feeling of, well, I've been forgiven probably by a number of other people and certainly by God, but this thing that was, but you don't understand this thing was done to me. And, Mm -hmm. and you know, it's one thing if a person says, I don't think I am able to do that because that acknowledges that they know it should be done, but they are weak. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. So I think, and, and that's the thing is already you're looking at yourself and saying, but as someone who is imperfect. Um, but if you say that this thing can't and shouldn't be forgiven, certainly not by me, then it's, it's, it is self-focused, but in the, in a bad way, um, it's self-focused, but it's not actually self-examining. And so, yeah, it is something that, that does strike me. Uh, and I think because we are so, I mean, it's the case with anything having to do with faith, you know, the, the physical world is so tangible and the spiritual world is so not mm-hmm. that, uh, that to try to take a concept as ethereal as forgiveness and 
apply it in the physical world, which does involve a lot of the things that you talked about that people conflate with the idea of forgiveness, like reconciliation, like trust, like this, mm-hmm. like forgetfulness. Um, like, I think the reason we latch on to those is because they are tangible things that we understand. Um, and so suddenly forgiveness becomes that thing. And, you know, if somebody has, has hurt you, well, you certainly don't want to be reconciled with them. You don't want them in your life anymore because they could hurt you again. So like if, if forgiveness only means that, then it becomes even harder to do, but it doesn't only mean that. And so, although, you know, if pressed, if somebody had asked me like, Hey, how would you define forgiveness? The word reconciliation might've been in there somewhere. Um, It wouldn't be the whole of it, but it probably would be in there. And so I'm curious in your, in your view, how would you define? And of course, this is a giant, idea, but how do you define just the concept of forgiveness? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. And, and forgiveness is part of reconciliation, but reconciliation is not part of forgiveness. Uh, reconciliation is a process, right? Yeah. Um, and forgiveness can be too, but uh, forgiveness is simply the, um, the surrendering or laying aside any right to anger, vengeance, or retribution. Yeah. Just laying it down. Um, now, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is reconciliation happens when two parties who are willing to forgive and, and work through what it would look like for them to uh, be conciliatory, be one again, be united again. Uh, they walk through that process. Right. So I've wronged you somehow. And uh, in order for us to reconcile, you have to be willing to forgive. And I have to be willing to admit that I need forgiveness. Sure. Right. Then we can walk through reconciliation. Um, And reconciliation does not necessarily mean trust is rebuilt. Sure. Because trust takes a combination of love uh, safety or, or an understanding that I'm not going to be hurt by this person and time. Mm-hmm. And so even if we're reconciled, you got to take time to rebuild trust. And the, the, um, I think have, understanding the transgression gap is helpful in that. If, if it's a big, a big sin, a big wrong done, it takes time for a person harmed by that to, to forgive. Yeah. It takes time to process through that. It, it takes time to reconcile. It takes time to rebuild trust. It takes time to come to a peaceful place with people. And sometimes those last two things just are not reasonable on this side of Jesus's return. So you can be uh, reconciled and at peace with somebody and still not build trust with them or be in right. a restored relationship to them. So that's, that's kind of how I would just real quickly define forgiveness and then parse out all those little things uh, without, without a deep dive into all of them, obviously. And I would say it, it sounds as though like in talking about a pro, uh, the process. Now, when we think of process, we think of step, step one, step two, step three, step four, but some of these things tend to uh, sort of require, uh, that they're all happening at the same time. You know, like I remember, especially going back to the concept of, of trust, which again, 
forgiveness can't be summed up by any one of these things, but it, it has a hand in all of them. Uh, I remember, um, an aspect of like marriage counseling, uh, that Jen and I went through both, uh, before we were married and then during, uh, we both found that as I imagine most people are, but we both have our trust, have trust issues with one another. And it's one of those things that like, uh, the instinct, the self-protective instinct is, well, I will trust this person when they show themselves to be trustworthy. Now that is in many ways that makes sense, but it is also, you trust that they, you have to, you have to essentially trust that they are trying to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And then the flip Mm -hmm. side is that person has to try to be trustworthy, Mm -hmm. knowing full well that they may not always achieve that, but knowing that that person has, that you have that person's trust anyway. And there is this feeling that like, if somebody is relying on you, there is a tendency to just instinctively want to be reliable. If somebody is trusting you, there's there's an an instinct to want to be trustworthy. And so, um, so in that way, I do feel like it's not a situation of this person becomes trustworthy or this person becomes forgivable, whatever it is. And thus I will forgive them. It is, these two things happening at this existing at the same time, each sort of relying on the other, but it's hard to know. It's hard to, I, in my opinion, I feel like it's hard to differentiate which ones, which one goes first. I think they kind of need to happen at the same time. Uh, but that, but I'm talking mostly in terms of trust and with mm-hmm. forgiveness that it might need to be a very definitive order of things, but because, but maybe not because you also, you hear about like, I forgive this person, even though they do not recognize a need for forgiveness, you know, like yes. it is not reliant on that person's asking or understanding that they right. need forgiveness in order yeah. to extend that. Exactly. Peace, restoration, reconciliation, all of those things. Uh, well, yeah, all of those things require everyone involved to, be honest about the situation, but I don't need, I don't need you to say, will you forgive me in order to forgive you? I don't have to, that's all me. Yeah. To do otherwise is actually to harm myself in hopes of harming you. Yeah. Right. To hold bitterness, to hold grudges. Um, This is all just harming, harming me. Now I think it's important to note that a lot of, uh, a lot of the language in our broader culture about forgiveness is about the gift that it is to yourself, which is where we as Christians say there are benefits, personal benefits to forgiveness, mm-hmm. but forgiveness is a gift that begins with God himself, right? All transgression, all wrongdoing is against him first. Yeah. And all forgiveness flows from the forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ, Right. And, and there we can get into the, the practicals of what forgiveness looks like. And, and there are some, some practicals that I can get in the, into there. But um, yeah, with, with peace, reconciliation, trust building, those are all kind of going together along uh, yeah. in, a, in a process, for lack of a better word. But forgiveness is something that we can go through by ourselves. Um, we might need somebody else to help us with it as we go, but yeah, we can go through, we can go through some steps and we can look at the gospel for those steps. Actually, you mentioned earlier, it got, what got me thinking about the practicals was you said forgiveness is ethereal and the physical world is very tangible. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I think the beautiful thing about one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it brings so many ethereal ideas into literal flesh and blood. Yeah. Right. Jesus, uh, Jesus shows us exactly what forgiveness is. Yeah. Right. He, he comes in, he speaks honestly about the situation. You are like opposed to God and need to be reconciled to him. Trust the son and you will be right. Repent yeah. and believe the kingdom is at hand. And then, uh, and then lest we, lest any of us think that forgiveness is cheap. He is betrayed by a friend, uh, tried or, uh, uh, convicted without trial, brutalized by people he came to love and serve, uh, stripped naked and hung on a chunk of wood that he created on a hilltop he created and mocked by people he came to save and, and suffocates and dies for our transgression. So, so we have to understand forgiveness is not as cheap as saying, don't worry about it. My, yeah. my big fear for, for my friends uh, who are followers of Jesus, when I hear them say, don't worry about it, is that we're actually not acknowledging what happened and then yeah. properly addressing it. And in fact, in my house, we've, we've developed a habit. If anybody comes and apologizes and asks for forgiveness, right? We have a habit, even with our kids, we say, okay, you say you're sorry. And then you say, will you forgive me? Uh, you say you're sorry for something specific, yeah, right? Not just general, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. I, you know, my kids are young. So this stuff happens all the time. I'm sorry. I pulled your hair. I love you. Will you forgive me? And then, yeah, you got, uh, you got to stop pulling your kid's hair, man. I know. Like I'm so it's, sorry. You know. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the response, if the response is that's okay, then we say, no, it's not. Right. And that's why it needs an apology. In fact, just the other day I needed, I recognized my need for forgiveness. I had been, um, uh, just in conversation, I, I had not spoken with my wife the way I ought to. And so I said, I'm sorry. Uh, that's not the way I want our dialogue to go. I want to treat you better. Will you forgive me? And she said, that's okay. I said, no, it's not. Right. It's not okay because you deserve better than that. And and I need your forgiveness. And so, uh, so I, and, and Jesus shows us, you call a thing what it is. He didn't say, Hey guys, Sin's kind of messed up. I know we all have a problem with it. It's okay. I'll take care of it. He came and he said, this is, this is, um, this makes you sick. This makes you tired. This is killing you and separating you from God. If yeah. you're, if you're weary and need rest, come to me. If you are thirsty, I have water that restores you. If you want to be reconciled to the father, if you want to know the father, come to me. Uh, and, and then he goes and he, and he shows us what the cost of that is. So, so in the process of forgiveness, we acknowledge wrong done. And if we've been wronged, I think it's really important to acknowledge the, the cost of that wrong done, right? Yeah. Um, in my house, we say, I felt blank when you, whatever, right. whatever was done. Um, but I forgive you. Cause we have to acknowledge the cost was it that was exacted. So we know exactly uh, what we're laying aside. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm laying aside my right to be angry and hold it against you that I was hurt by what you did. 
I'm laying all that aside and trusting that Jesus is the one who adjudicates. Jesus is the one who exacts judgment. Um, the scripture says, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yeah. I will repay. And so I want to surrender all of that over to him so that he's the one who gets to decide who gets vengeance and who doesn't. And I'm the one who just gets to receive his grace because I know that my transgressions are in an, are in a tomb, uh, but that my body and Jesus's body are not. And, you know, you, you've brought up a couple of things that I, that I want to address. The first is, and both of them have to do with when you're not the one that needs to forgive, but you're the one that needs forgiveness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because you did mention the idea that forgiveness, of course, ideally it would involve the other person, but it doesn't have to. Right. The other per- if, if you've been wronged, it doesn't require the other person to ask for forgiveness or even acknowledge that they need it in order for That's you right. to give it. And That's similarly, right. what if you are the person who did something wrong and you ask the, and you ask someone, I'm so sorry, I did this thing. I know it was wrong. Can you forgive me? And if they say, no, I can't, mm-hmm. well then you, you know, what do you do in that sense? Now, obviously from a Christian standpoint, we know that it would be great if they did forgive us, but, it's not necessary for us to continue on with our lives. We don't have to live in a state of guilt and self-condemnation because there is a larger sense of forgiveness. But uh, at the same time, that, that can be a hard thing uh, mm-hmm. to live with when you know that you've done something wrong, you're asking someone for forgiveness and they say no. Like mm-hmm. as long as, you know, for the foreseeable future, um, when they think of you, they will think of this thing that you did and they will not treat you well as a result. They will hold it against you. Mm-hmm. They will mm-hmm. continue to, in some way, shape or form, punish you uh, with their behavior. That's not a, that's, which then leads to another, another question, which I'll get to in a moment, which has to do with what, what happens when we, when we don't feel that we deserve forgiveness. But in the mean, but before that, like if another person refuses to forgive you, uh, you know, what should be our reaction uh, in that? I know what the reaction likely will be, um, which by the way, on one hand, it could be like, oh my gosh, I'm so upset with myself. This person won't forgive me. It can also be, how could they not forgive me? You know, so it can, it can go either way. Uh, but what would you say is the ideal reaction? Maybe not in the moment, but in a larger sense. Yeah, I think, well, I'm even, I'm even going to take a step back and note that you, uh, the question is predicated on the assumption that we are aware of when we offend people. Sure. And I find, I find often Christians are highly attuned to when they are offended, but not often highly attuned to when they are offensive, but boy, that's true. Matthew five. And, and, and I think that's humans in general. Okay, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not throwing our brothers and sisters under the bus. Rather, I want to plea with everybody listening who's a follower of Jesus to look back at Matthew five and note that, um, note that when, when Jesus says that, um, when Jesus says that if you remember that, uh, if you're at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, go to him and reconcile, right? He doesn't say, if you're at the altar and remember that someone hurt you, go reconcile. The yeah. onus the onus of this often 
gets placed on other people, right? Like, oh, well, if they're, if they're offended, they can come talk to me about it. No, 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 no. Scripture says, if you realize you offended someone, you right. go talk to them. It's your responsibility. So I just wanted to note that like you, you pointed that out and I'm like, Oh man, so many people need to hear that, that we need to be more familiar with uh, the log in our own eye than we are with the speck in our, in our brothers or even the speck in, in the world's eye. We need to be so aware of our capacity to offend that we are first to repent first to ask for forgiveness. And the more we receive forgiveness, the quicker we will be to offer it. Um, because we just realize how powerful the gospel is and it sets us free uh, to and forgive I think, and be forgiven. And I think at the core of that requires is, is honesty mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it's possible, you know, the, the, the natural human tendency, whether you're Christian or not, is to go to extremes. And so if it's like, well, I need to, I want to be aware of when I offend someone. So you know what? I'm going to, I will choose to live in a state of always assuming I have offended someone uh, and, and constantly apologizing and constantly asking for forgiveness. That's my tendency. Um, but first off, like if you're doing anything constantly, then there are no peaks and valleys. It's just a flat line. And so it's not going to mean anything to you or to them if you apologize. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, uh, it's dishonest, you know, like we, we are supposed to have, uh, we are supposed to be on the side of truth. Obviously we're supposed to be on the side of righteousness and all these other things, but truth is an important thing as well. And if I say I'm constant, if I am, maybe not consciously aware of this, but if I'm living my life in a way that suggests I'm perpetually offending everyone all the time, that can't be the truth. Right. And that's, like, cri- that's a crippling, crippling yeah, exactly. thing. Yeah. No, we, yeah, we want to operate on just based on trust, obviously. Yeah. But if, if we get the hint, even just like the smallest gut check of like, man, that may have been hurtful. What I said the other day, like yeah. I, I've found that if, if I act on that impulse and just follow up and say, Hey, I don't know if you were offended by this, but I just like, I, I just wanted to come and apologize for anything yeah. that I said, I find, you know, a good deal of the time, the, the person I'm talking to was not offended at all, but that our bond is strengthened in the, in the meantime, because we see like, we can see like, Oh, that's how much we love each other. We're so, we were so committed to one another that we don't want any offense to get in the way of that. Um, and we'll follow up with it now. Um, now to get back to, to how we got on this whole topic in the first place, when, when you asked, what do we do if we ask for forgiveness and it's not Lent? Yeah. Um, you know, all of this flows out of meditation on the life teaching death and resurrection of Jesus that I, I know the gospel tells me, I need forgiveness much more than, uh, than I can imagine. And being forgiven frees me to forgive others uh, because I've been given so much grace. Yeah. Uh, and so it compels me to apologize, right? Because, because if I've been forgiven of my sin, eternal, worthy of condemnation, then I can own up to any mistake I make. I can open up to any offense I cause 
because yeah. I know that God who holds me ultimately accountable has forgiven me. And so I can offer myself up and say, Hey, will you forgive me? And if the response is yes, I can rejoice. And if the response is no, it stings, it stings. But I know that the person that's talking to me, the person withholding forgiveness, it has no say over my status with God. Yeah. has no say over my status in the church, has no say over my eternal status and place, um, and is actually actually in deep pain and harming themselves. So I can plead with them to ask for, to, to forgive me and then just leave it and go pray that the yeah. Lord himself would work on their heart and show them how to forgive and move on with my day, right? Because ultimately that's not a baggage, that's not baggage that I need to carry. Yeah. Um, if I've done everything I can to seek peace uh, and to restore what I've broken, but I, I'm not led forgiveness, there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. And, and it could be, you know, that you're seeking forgiveness, uh, honestly, but you also are hoping that like this relationship can be restored. And then this person reveals that they don't want to forgive you and that they don't want to restore that relationship. Now you can certainly grieve that. And it could be that the thing that you did was in fact so heinous that that even if this person did forgive you, that doesn't necessarily guarantee restoration because there are mm -hmm. real world consequences of, uh, you know, yes. the real world con consequence of things. Forgiveness does not mean literally every, every, uh, well, I'll stick with consequence that every consequence is wiped clean. Like there are right. very real consequences that, that uh, are the result of our actions. That's right. That's right. Uh, and that's, that's one of the, the mistakes or the, the misunderstandings we talked about earlier, right? Is that, that forgiveness is conflated with forgetfulness. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the traps we fall into is, well, if you forgive me, then you've got to forget that I did that and just trust me again. Well, no, that's not how that works. Um, Right. If, if, my, if um, I'm having trouble up, uh, coming up with an example, that's not kid related. Cause that's just who I'm around constantly. Sure. Uh, but, but well, I love that, that moment in fury where uh, guys in the tank are giving Bible a hard time about like, he really thinks that Jesus could forgive Hitler no. and, and Bible frustrated because he's heard this argument so many times says like, of course, Jesus Christ will forgive anyone or the father will forgive anyone in Jesus name. I think it's how he, how he mm -hmm. phrases it. And he says, but that does not free him from the consequences of man. Yeah. You are accountable for your actions. I think that's exactly what he says. And then he's like done with the conversation. Right. And, yeah. and man, when I heard, when I heard that in that movie, I love that movie. I was like, that's it. That's Christian forgiveness. That's how it works. <laughs> because, because look, if you have, if you've committed a major crime, yeah. And you put your trust in Jesus. You are eternally forgiven for that and can be embraced by the church. No question. Yeah. You need to repair what you broke. And in our judicial system, unfortunately, that means incarceration for a time in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, which means you can't actually repair because you're not working. And anyway, but that's a whole other problem. Um, that those two things are not forgetfulness of what happened and forgiveness are not the same thing. They can go together, but they don't always go together. Yeah. You know, it's, and I do think that again, looking at, uh, at the larger cultural conversation, um, even the idea of something 
of someone merely having to withstand the horrendous worldly consequences of their actions. Like uh, that, even that isn't enough for some people. Like they really can't like in their mind. Well, if God forget, let's go with Hitler. Let's go with the worst one. Uh, If God, if God can forgive Hitler, then sure. Then God truly is not good. Like putting aside, like people use the, the, you know, if this, if this such thing is true, then God is not inherently good. And they tend to use it for like things that are happening here in the world, but it could also be about God's attitude towards that person if they come looking for forgiveness. And I myself, like I have an instinctive response because again, we can't help but rank sins Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's. And we cannot get our mind around the idea that God doesn't rank sins. He only thinks in terms of you are outside of me right now for whatever reason. Right. And yeah, it's uh, like we want, I think we really want to believe that bad people, and we can put quotes around that, but like bad people, the ones that we all agree are bad, that they made their bed. Now they have to lie in it forever. Mm-hmm. There is no good that could ever come their way. And, and it, yeah. and it does frustrate us at the, at the notion that, that, Oh, well, once this person dies, uh, then they'll be fine. If they're, if they, if they, you know, have a deathbed conversion or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, it's so that level of frustration, especially with somebody like a Hitler or, you know, a, a Ted Bundy or somebody like that. Uh, I do understand that level of frustration and I have to get myself past it intellectually mm-hmm. um, because there's always the person that could look at what I did and said, I cannot believe that he uh, is allowed to live with to live in God's presence once he dies. You know, like there's always going to be the person who is, seemingly perfect looking at everyone else and say, I can't believe they're in the club, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, I do think that there is, and maybe there always has been this idea that like, well, God is truly not just if this person can get into heaven after a, a sincere, uh, conversion. Yeah. We, we inherently yearn for justice until it comes for us. Uh, and, and one of the wonderful things about trusting in the gospel is that we can say, you know, to the, even the thought in my own head, because mm-hmm. it happens, uh, to hear the thought or hear the phrase like, I can't believe that someone that bad could yeah. be forgiven and saved. And my response is, me either. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm a bronze medal winner. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. don't know how I got in. Uh, I'm like, it's incredible to me. Uh, and therefore I want everyone to get in on this. This is, yeah. this is unbelievable. Um, but, but what else are we going to trust? Because man's justice yeah. obviously fails. Um, what else are we going to trust? I, I think that, and that wonder at the gospel, mm-hmm to sit in awe and wonder that God would forgive and to, in order to do that, we'd, we'd go through so much on our behalf um, is what compels us to ask for forgiveness in a worldly sense, because we understand the cosmic has been yeah. taken care of. It's what compels us to forgive other people. It's what compels us to seek peace and restore and renew because we understand now who God is because he's shown it to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, I think 
man, you want to free yourself from bitterness uh, and anger towards other people. Meditate on the gospel and what it took to forgive you. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of something that, um, and at the risk of, I don't mean to get too political or anything like that, but uh, there was a, a, a conservative commentator who said, who said something that I had never thought of that I really appreciated that, you know, when we look back on somebody like a George Washington and realize that he owned slaves, our instinct is to say George Washington it, it was taking part in this monstrous thing. And thus, why would we ever have a statue to him or something like that? Mm-hmm. And then this commentator said, he goes, you're looking at it the wrong way. You're looking at it solely through the superiority of modern morals. He goes, what you should be saying is if a man as good as George Washington could still have slaves, imagine what we would be doing if we lived in that time, Yes, you know? And so similarly, you know, we look at like, I can't believe that God could forgive somebody as terrible as Hitler uh, or Stalin or whoever. And it's like, that's one. And so God must not be good. And the other way of looking at it is if he can forgive this thing that I view as so terrible, then he can certain, then he can forgive me and thank God for that. Thank God. Quite literally. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, and we can even hold uh, earthly consequences in the midst of that conversation and see in the old Testament, God says, uh, the, the destruction of the wicked will be their destruction. Mm-hmm. He, he, and he, he does it throughout, uh, the history of Israel, whatever nation comes in and does terrible things to Israel, another nation doesn't comes in and does those same terrible things yeah. to the conquering people. And, and God's like, all right, you guys want to be wicked and destructive. I, I will allow you to revisit that destruction on each other. Um, and that will be your consequence unless you follow me. And then all that can change. Right. Yeah. So, so the one, the, the, the awe and wonder of forgiveness, thank God he can forgive sinners like us. Also, yeah. thank God he uses our own destructive habits to bring justice on the earth. Yeah. So, and along those lines, I do want to pivot into sort of this last section here, which is, you know, we, even if it's in sort of a conceptual idea, we have, we, we have some understanding of how God is able to forgive because he is unlimited and he, and he is outside of time. So that means that at any, at any given moment, uh, Jesus is currently paying the price for uh, a sin and being resurrected. Like, so he's, he's in the process of justice and mercy at any given moment, you know, because he exists outside of time. Everything is present for him, which is something that uh, I find so beautiful that I can't help but get emotional when I think about it. Mm. Um, And so, you know, so God is, is, always in a state of justice, even if we feel like he is not. But anyway, as far as other people, when it comes to, you know, if somebody has wronged you and let's say it's, let's say it's a bad one. Let's say, I mean, I mean, of course they're all bad, but certainly, you know, if somebody uh, is like messing around with like a, a, an object of yours and winds up breaking it because they were being careless. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, that one can be kind of easy. Uh, but if it's, you know, your, your 
husband or your wife cheated on you or this random person killed somebody that you love or whatever, you know, some, some really difficult things that will have extended earthly consequences. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, how would you even go about getting getting to a place mentally and emotionally and certainly spiritually, not necessarily in that order, how would you even go about starting to forgive? You know, I, I imagine there there has to be a lot of reminding of oneself of mm -hmm. things. But uh, but in your opinion, how would you go about starting that? Like, you know what, I'll make it, I'll make it personal. If you'll pardon me. Uh, there's a, there's a wonderful film called 21 grams, uh, by Inuritu. And in it, uh, Naomi Watts is married to, uh, Danny Houston and they have two children. And there's a, a moment where Danny Houston and the kids are taking a walk and then a large truck driven by Benicio del Toro hits the three of them and they're immediately gone. Now he didn't do it with the, he didn't try to kill them. He just mm -hmm. did because he was driving, he was speeding and he was driving recklessly and he wasn't thinking about other people. And now this woman has lost her entire family. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say, you know, you have a I wife have and three call. and three children yeah. uh, and they are taking a walk and then due to not malice, but carelessness, mm -hmm. somebody takes them from you. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously it's never going to be easy and you're going mm -hmm. to feel that loss in some capacity your entire life. But how would you, Nathan Potter, in this mm -hmm. unthinkable hypothetical, uh, <laughs> sure. how would you go about starting to forgive this person? Yeah, I think actually, if you don't mind me dodging the hypothetical, I can, sure. I can, I can have a real world okay, application sure. of this. Um, well, which one do I do? Which one do I do? Um, so, uh, in my childhood, I went through a trauma that right. you're familiar with. I'm not going to go into the details here and trying to air my laundry on the show, but, sure. uh, significant enough that it affected the trajectory of the rest of my life and, and how I viewed myself in a lot of ways. Um, and it wasn't until my late twenties that, uh, this, this memory kind of forced its way to the front of my attention and the Lord did that. And, and he brought it up and he said, this has got to be dealt with. And so I can talk about my process with that. So please do. Yes. I, I, I came up with a hypothetical <laughs> hypothetical cause I didn't want to put you in a position of saying yeah. something that actually did happen. But yes, uh, <laughs> if, if you're without going into, into the specific details, yes. If you want to talk about that by all means. Yeah, I, I can, uh, I can do that. Um, I appreciate you giving me the freedom there. Um, so the, the beginning of that process is on honesty about, about the cost. It's, it's grief. It's lament. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, it is to, in the simple, we'll, we'll, uh, use the, uh, precious object breaking out of carelessness sure. of our anchor analogy. Um, it's the moment of like, Oh, I just lost something mm -hmm. that sinking feeling in your gut. Um, that says, oh, that was not good and I'm hurt, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and you, gotta, you gotta deal with that honestly. And as anybody who's been through grief uh, or process trauma knows, that is, a, that is something that takes time, that is something that fluctuates based on the day and your mood and your circumstances, but, but you can honestly express to God here's everything I'm feeling about this right now. 
um, at the same time, uh, sometimes congruent, sometimes shortly after that, we'll put it in steps and then we'll kind of talk about it. But so the first thing is to be honest about the pain caused, the harm done. Yeah. Um, honest with yourself, honest with God, and don't skip past this step because sometimes the emotions coming out of that are a flood and you've got to sit with them for a little bit. Um, I would say then, then comes a uh, big step one of forgiveness. It is the decision to forgive. Right. The decision, I will not let my grief turn into, which comes with anger and sorrow and all sure. these things. I will not let my grief turn into vengeance. I lay aside all rights to, uh, to get retribution and payback, however you want to perceive it. And, and so I went through that process with this other individual, though that person is not in my life anymore. I don't know mm-hmm. where they are. This is, this is well over at this point, well over, um, 30 years ago. So, uh, I don't even know what happened to that person, yeah. but I can say, Jesus, I refuse to hold anger against it, bitter against this person any longer. Um, and I'm going to need you to help me hold to that. Right. Cause he is the one that anger or that forgiveness is rooted in. He's the one who empowers us for it. And so then, uh, for me, just, uh, yeah. So, so then, uh, you put your trust, you say that in that Jesus, like I trust you to be the one who decides judgment. You are the one who decides vengeance and whether vengeance is taken on him specifically for his transgression or vengeance is meted out on the cross on his behalf. Yeah. That's up to you. Uh, and, and from that place, we go through a process of forgiveness. Now in the, in the, you know, the trinket drops and breaks and that process can take 30 seconds. Sure. Right. Um, and I think it's an important practice, at least when you're, when you're first like really pressing into forgiveness to, instead of saying, no, it's fine to say, Hey, you know what? It's a bummer. Uh, I really, that object meant a lot to me, but I love you too much to hold it against you. I forgive you. I find that it's a really good practice to just stick with that, even in small things. But then comes part two of forgiveness. And part two of forgiveness is once you've made the decision, you stick with the decision. Yeah. The grief, the anger will come up. They came up for me, swelled in me for up to a year and a half as I met with a therapist and prayed with my pastors and processed with my close friends. Um, so would swell up in me some days. Uh, you know, you get, sometimes you get so angry, your hands feel hot. Yeah. Um, and there were those days. And on those days, again, going back to God and saying, here's exactly how I feel about this. You know, sometimes it's not words, though. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who, who makes intercession through our groans, um, tears, screams, etc. You say, God, here's where I'm profanity. at. Profanity is profanity. a big one. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> I like the idea that, the, that, like, I'm saying some pretty rough stuff and then the Holy Spirit is going to God. It's like, okay, so here's what... Here's what he meant. Yeah. Here, here's what he means by that. We're <laughs> going to work on the words later. Oh, but yeah. Here's what it means. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, but then in the midst of that, reaffirming the commitment, I refuse 
yeah. to let vengeance take hold. I forgive in Jesus' name. And Jesus, I need you to hold me to that. And that's part two, the, yeah. um, the recommitment to forgiveness could be for the rest of your life. Yeah. I know for me, for this particular trauma, it still comes up. There are still days that suddenly I feel uh, like it's present on my mind and I have to walk through like, no, 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 I have forgiven. And I continue to forgive. I continue to stay in that posture because Christ has forgiven me. And I would say something that has helped me on any number of levels, whether it be with grief or unforgiveness or temptation, obviously there are some days that are easier than others. And as time has gone on, I've come to realize like, yeah, that might not be a coincidence. Like maybe I should start thanking God for the easy days, Mm, you know, yeah, like, because that could be him working in me and giving me strength that I didn't know I had. And because there is a tendency when things are going well like when things are going poorly, uh, sometimes we can get mad at God, but we do right. sometimes turn to God, even if it's just to get mad at him. But when things are going great, there's a tendency to be like, great, well, going to go do my thing now. And, yeah. and then when things go bad the next day, that's when we're angry again. And it's like, oh, but things are going so well. And it's like, yeah, maybe that day or week or whatever, when things are going well, maybe that was God giving you a little bit of relief from mm the pain of this mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And so I really have tried to focus on the, the, you know, the peaks uh, as like, yeah, maybe that didn't just <laughs> happen. Maybe I didn't just stumble into a night, a, a good time. Like maybe it is, maybe I've been working on it and maybe God has sort of rewarded that or is, or, or at least it's bearing fruit either yeah, way. Or, or, or you did stumble into it. It had nothing to do with you. And sure. that's just grace, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I do think that like one way or another, like welcoming with open arms, welcoming God into the process yes. through to the negative time, the difficulty and through the, the ease and you'll get plenty of both. Um, if you allow that, uh, because there are times, especially when it comes to unforgiveness, uh, when you find suddenly you're not, or, or grief, it's like today's not so hard actually, but you feel it's exactly the opposite of what you're talking about. You feel obligated to feel angry yeah. or feel sad. And so you'll make yourself feel that way. And in fact, it should be exactly the opposite that on those days when it's really difficult, you have to try to acknowledge the sadness, acknowledge the loss, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. but try to not seize upon it or dwell on it so much so that it carries into and cancels out the, the good times, the, the easier days. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're tapping into a key component of what it means to give thanks in all circumstances, to recognize that God is present in our struggle on the hard days when it's yeah. all, when it's just brutal, regardless of what we're talking about, right. In any situation, um, it can, you can just have brutal days, but in those moments, God is there he is with you. He's helping you get through it. And he's listening to your difficulty with compassion. Yeah. And we can thank God for that. And then when we have respite, when we have refuge from that, that's yeah. God giving us a break. And yeah. that is, that is sweet relief. And we can thank him for both. And it is something that, you know, because everything is all tied up together and, mm-hmm. and forgiveness, you know, if someone has wronged you, there will be anger 
there will be sadness Mm -hmm. and there will be, and you can ball that all up and call it grief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even if somebody has not wronged you, grief is going to come in some way, shape or form. It could be you you lost your job or whatever. Uh, and something that, that as I have gotten older, you know, when people say, uh, you know, I would, I ask God to comfort you. And I remember being like, what, what kind of comfort are you talking about? Like this, this loss is not gone anymore. It's not as though the respite comes in that like, Oh, I get a, I get another day, a little bonus day with this person every once in a while. It's not that the comfort comes in those moments where the pain is not unbearable anymore. And in fact, the, the comfort could come in a friend makes a joke and you laugh in the midst of a naturally in the midst of a bad time, Yeah, you know, like trying to, I remember, I remember this is, uh, you know, certainly by way of analogy, I remember, uh, you and I once were talking about the idea of a Sabbath Mm -hmm. and at that time in your life, you weren't really able to take one, at least not a full day. Mm -hmm. And so you said like, I'm going to have to find my Sabbath where I can, like in little 15 minute increments sort of throughout my week, because like you were, I think you were in a new job that required a lot of you. You were a new father and just there, there was never a day when you could take a whole day to just sit back and reflect on God. So you, you, you grabbed those where you could, you know, and I think we all have an idea of what comfort looks like, what forgiveness looks like. And it's, it's this very definitive thing that's all encompassing when in fact it is a process or one could Mm -hmm. say it's a bit of a spectrum Mm -hmm. and there will be easier days and, and harder days. And in both, yes, you should be turning to God either in, in praise or, or petition. And that will make when you're, when you're praising him for the easier days, I think it makes it easier to recognize them. And then when you're, when you're asking him for, for help on the harder days, uh, I think just the fact of turning to him and bringing him into the process makes it maybe not easier, but it makes it a little bit, the, the weight isn't all on you anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the comfort is that I'm not alone and the darkness doesn't win. Yeah. Um, and praising him for the good days reminds us that good is not the default, uh, for, for most people in the world and through the history of humanity, easy days are not the default. And so we can take them and soak them up as, uh, as little, little refuge in the wilderness. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and and leave it there. We've talked about some very big things and, Mm -hmm. you know, listeners, as you talk about like the, this unforgiveness and just sin in general, whether it be against God or against other people or both often, uh, if not always, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that is, that is the darkness. It is the absence of light. It is choosing to do that, which you know, you shouldn't either consciously or unconsciously. And then when somebody does that to you, they're essentially in some way, they're, they're bringing you into that darkness. And then if you don't forgive, you're choosing to stay in it. You know what I mean? Like just because this person brought you in that, like you still have the choice 
to dwell there or to step into the light even and by the way the darkness is still going to come at you uh about uh, in regards to this thing that may have happened but it's still up to you uh you know and that's that's when people talk about freedom and the the freedom that that forgiveness uh can offer that's what they mean. And it's a spiritual and an emotional freedom that like, you no longer have to let what this person did as heinous as it could be. You no longer have to let that dictate the, the tone of your life. That's right. Um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, listeners, there might be something that, that you need to forgive somebody else for, or something that you might need to ask forgiveness for. Um, you know, Nathan, you mentioned this, uh, uh, a few minutes ago that, uh, looking for those, those areas in your life, not in a paranoid way and not in an obsessive way, but looking for those moments where like, you know what, I think maybe I overstepped in this way or I hurt that person. Um, so when I was in high school, I was, you know, I grew up in the church and I was a high school Christian and I'm going to I, I'm going to hope you know what that means, which is to say <laughs> I had a, I had enough of an understanding of this to be, really black and white and judgmental of other people. And so I, uh, and one of the people that I was judgmental of was my, was my theater teacher. And, uh, and she knew it and we got along only to a certain extent. And then a few years ago, and it it really bothered me as I got older that I was that way to her and that, that, that I was that representation of Christianity to her. Um, thus probably affirming her decision to not really pursue that. Um, and, uh, and then a few years ago, uh, a friend of the show, Jason Eakin and I went back to, uh, our, our high school for, uh, the retirement party of a different theater teacher. And, uh, and so this, this woman was there and we were all hanging out and I ha- I found myself next to her and I was just like, this is it. Like, this is the opportunity. It's, you already feel bad about it. Like broaching this is going to be tough. And so I, I finally, it took a while and I said, you know, so-and-so, I didn't call her that. Uh, I said her name. Uh, I said, I, I was, I was pretty rough to you, uh, in high school. And, uh, frankly, I didn't know any better. And I was trying to live out my faith in a way that was too simplistic. And I started to really put it on other people as much as I was putting it on myself, though I didn't realize that at the time. And it is one of my greatest regrets in life. And I, I am so sorry. And I really hope that you can forgive me. And she said, what's your name? <laughs> yeah. She goes, I'm sorry. What? Who are you? Um, <laughs> but no, she said, she said, I, she goes, I do know what you're talking about. And she said, mm-hmm. and I really, she goes, I really appreciate you saying that even after all these years. And of course, I absolutely forgive you. And so when she said, like, I know what you're talking about, like, clearly, like, it's not like something she was dwelling on. But here I am in front of her, this guy that was a jerk to her in high school many years ago. And so it's not that it was ruining her life or anything. It's that when she would think of me, if she thought of me, and now that I was in front of her, all of that stuff was still there. Mm-hmm. And in, and showing that I acknowledged it and really sincerely apologized and asked for her forgiveness. Like she was so eager to give it and seemed so touched that I would even bother to ask. And so in that regard, like it felt so good 
to feel that drop away after all these years that like mm-hmm. she, you know, and of course, yes, I can still forgive myself and God still forgives me, but there is something very nice about being humble enough. And in that moment, thank God I was, um, to ask that forgiveness because in that moment, you never know, you could actually be giving somebody else a gift as well. Um, Absolutely. and it was a, a very rewarding moment, uh, for me and hopefully for her as well. And so, and it's, and it's also, you know, never too late. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, uh, listeners, hopefully, uh, this has been helpful and not, you know, overly steeped in theology. I don't think it was. Um, and also a lot of these principles, yes, we do believe that the, the concept of forgiveness is rooted in God, but if you are somebody who doesn't believe in God, you can still live out these principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you find that they work for you, I would say maybe do some reverse engineering here and, and, and explore maybe where these ideas came from in the first place. Yeah. Just a thought. But anyway, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for being on the show. This was tremendous fun. Uh, thanks for being just in the other room. Like I'm about to sign off and then go see you again in a moment. <laughs> so it's very surreal, but, uh, but thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm love what you're doing here. I love all the things that God's been doing through the show and through you and, uh, just happy to be happy to be of service. Absolutely. And, uh, listeners, thank you, uh, for your continued support of the show. And, uh, if you have any questions, you can email me Tyler at more than one You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons, and you can like the show on Facebook. Uh, there are a number of reviews on the website right now that you can check out. There are oddly enough, two review, two separate reviews of Palm Springs due to a uh, communication snafu with my writers. Um, and, uh, and some other reviews as well. So you can check that out at more than one In the meantime, thank you everybody for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.